0: So our service tonight, on the one hand, is kind of simple. On the other hand, it's kind of deep, which is probably appropriate when we think of why we're here and what we're remembering. I'd like to read for you from Luke chapter uh, 23. This is verses 32 to 43. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, we've gathered here today in your presence to remember something that is at the heart of our faith, in the heart of, and at the heart of the history of the world that your very own son who had come into the world and taken on human flesh and done the amazing thing of sharing life with us with all of its wonders and miseries he did something even more amazing in allowing himself to be taken to the cross in order to fulfill not only prophecy but in order to fulfill the mission that He Himself had told His disciples about, to come and to pay for our sins. One sacrifice for all time. Lord, we are humbled by this. We're amazed by this. Sometimes we're tempted to move on and focus on all the easier stuff. But this is an important night for us and an important memorial for us. I pray that You would Continue to hear our ongoing prayers and that you would take our sins as far away as they can possibly be, any that are fresh and new, that we haven't prayed over before. But thank you that the work on Jesus' cross is so thorough that for all who are trusting Him, all of our sins, past, present, and future, have already been nailed to that cross. Help us as we probe a little deeper tonight to be filled with wonder and amazement, and maybe to marvel over something new or to rehearse something that we've treasured dearly. And Lord, turn that into worship. Turn that into worship that leads to Sunday, to our Easter resurrection celebrations, but turn it into something more. Lord, turn it into a phenomenal wave of gratitude that sweeps over us and that draws us back closer to you. I pray that you do that for all of us and that you would connect us through our shared love and appreciation for Jesus, our shared awe over what he's done, and our desperate need to cling to him and his grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question for you. When you see these crosses up here on the stage, or you think about the cross, How do you regard the cross? About 10 years ago, there was a theological debate among theologians and missionaries in Latin America where a growing trend among evangelical Christians in Latin America was toward removing the cross from the core teaching of the church and instead focusing only or primarily on the resurrection and its benefits. Now, it wasn't that they didn't believe the cross event Uh, ever happened or anything like that, but this debate was about emphasizing the positive and leaving what was seen as negative behind. The debate grew so strong that the faith of some people who chose to wear a crucifix was seen by others in some of these churches as highly suspect. And this debate revealed some interesting consequences. For instance, Removing the cross from the teaching of the church led some Christians toward an inability to embrace suffering and hardship in their lives. They began to expect ease at all times. They began to see the death of Jesus as merely a symbol of God's love and forgiveness unrelated to His incarnation. In other words, to the purpose of coming into this world and taking on human life as a child. Another danger was the inability to stick with those people who were suffering This became a way of avoiding any hint or any attachment to pain in ministry. New Testament professor Elizabeth Sendek, who teaches at the Biblical Seminary of Columbia, wrote about this in an article called Rejecting the Cross. To sum up what she wrote, Without a commitment to teaching about the cross, we are prone toward promoting a Jesus who provides many benefits without counting the cost. As I began to think about this illustration from South America, I realized that this is the dilemma that we face every Good Friday, Easter, resurrection season. If we present too much cross, we wonder, will we scare people off? If we only talk about the resurrection, though, will we lead people into a too-easy Christianity that actually takes us farther away from following the life and teaching of Jesus to a kind of following that is artificially... Pain free and easy. One conclusion that we can adopt is to develop a healthier appreciation of the combination of Good Friday and our Easter celebrations. Tonight we're going to talk about the importance of the cross and one great principle that the cross reveals. And then on Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we're going to see how the benefits that flow from the resurrection reveal that only God could raise Jesus. And only God could rescue Easter from the jaws of Good Friday. In this season, we're in the midst of a series that has us looking at things that can only be explained by the intervention of God. We've been calling this Only God. Only God could have offered the promise that Jesus made from the cross to one of the two thieves who concluded that Jesus really is the Messiah. And so our topic for tonight is called the man in the middle. Welcome to Good Friday here at North River. Let me welcome all of you who are online as well as those who are in the room. Thank you for stopping for a moment to think about the cross with us. We gain something every time we stop to reflect soberly and clearly about the cross of Jesus. Part of what we gain is the ability to better appreciate the power of the cross. We also gain a greater appreciation of what all the benefits that flow from the resurrection really cost him. I want to tell those of you who are online and who are not with us in the room, we're going to celebrate communion at the end of this message. So you may want to figure out what you've got in your home that you can use for celebrating communion. Here's the question that I have at the outset of this message. Is it possible that thinking about the cross clarifies the heart of the gospel? So I'd I'd like to talk about the man in the middle and what we learn from Jesus and the thief, the thief who responds to him, that is. Here's the first thought. The cross obscures and the cross reveals. At the same time, the cross obscures and the cross reveals. Luke 23, verses 39 to 41 say, "...one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah?" Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. And then he acknowledges, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Luke chapter 23 reveals many observations about the people around the cross of Jesus. The soldiers, for instance. The soldiers beat him, mocked him, spit on him, and cast lots for his clothing. Some of the religious leaders from Jerusalem were, were there, just outside the city on that small little hill, and they openly taunted him. If you're really the Messiah, come down from that cross, they said. In their minds, there was no way that the true Christ, the true, true Messiah, could really die in that kind of shame. And then it says that one of the two criminals hurled insults at him. Isn't that an interesting verb? They hurled insults at him as if to say they were hurling words in such a way to cut as deeply as words possibly can. You know the the phrase we have as kids, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Rubbish absolute lie. There are words that some of us still carry that were hurled at us by some mean spirited kid when we were back on the playground when we were little kids and we still carry those in our memory. Some of us have heard words hurled at us as adults that cut just as deeply and maybe even more harshly. And so I imagine this guy throwing his words at Jesus, and what prompted Luke to use that verb, that they were hurling these insults at them? My guess is that Luke didn't include all of the words that were used because they weren't fit for printing in the Bible. So we have a few of them. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the second criminal, often referred to as the good thief, noticed all of this. It's possible that earlier he had joined in hurling insults at Jesus, too. Matthew's account said that they were both doing this, and that may have been a way of glossing over something that Matthew wasn't told about or or didn't remember. Matthew wasn't there. Only, Only John was there among the living disciples. The others had fled. But if he was, earlier, joining in the insults toward Jesus, something changed his mind which raises another question what would have changed his mind it is very possible that he was moved by Jesus words and Jesus reactions that particular day the first statement that Luke records from Jesus on the cross was Father forgive them what an amazing response we hear from Jesus he's just been unjustly accused and tried and convicted it was a sham of a trial Matthew and Luke record that Pilate, the governor of Judea, found no fault in Jesus. Several key religious leaders wanted Jesus dead and out of the way before the holiday. That particular season was just like this particular year, where for our Jewish friends, this is the start of Passover tonight. And so this would have happened the night before, and they they wanted Jesus out of the way, they wanted him dead, before the Passover would officially start, so they could go on with the holiday. Doesn't that sound like a very American way of doing things? Let's get rid of all this, do it, so that we can get on with the holiday. If it was July 4th, they had the sparklers and and the flags out and ready to fire up the barbecue. So there there was this holiday rush to eliminate Jesus and let the holiday sweep in and do its magic and make everybody happy. Despite this, Jesus adds, for they don't know what they were doing. Oh, they knew that they were killing Jesus, but they didn't know the fullness of what all this entailed. They didn't know about God's plan. They didn't know about why Jesus had to be there. Here's my point. The same cross obscures and reveals Jesus. Those bent on adding to his abuse only saw an object of scorn hanging from the cross, but this second criminal saw something more and figured it out while he was hanging on the cross beside Jesus. Is it possible that there are some who are with us tonight, either in the room or online, who may see something more in Jesus as a result of what we're talking about right now and as a result of the hour that we spend together? So the first thought is the cross obscures and the cross reveals. It was true then, it's true today. Here's the second observation. Jesus' promises are personal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice how Jesus answers him. Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. After rebuking and trying to silence this abusive criminal, this second man makes a decision. We don't completely know what he believed about Jesus. For instance, we don't know if he ever saw a miracle. We don't know if he ever heard Jesus teach. But he knows enough to conclude that Jesus' bearing fits the placard that was over his head which read, This is the King of the Jews. What could have led him to this kind of conclusion... That Jesus really is a king with a kingdom. Well, let's look at some of the clues that are here just in this chapter of the gospel. Luke 23 records a conversation between Pilate and Jesus. Pilate was the governor of Judea. It takes place at daybreak after Jesus has been arrested and beaten by guards who blindfolded him and demanded that he prophesy about who hit him while they're punching him while he's blinded by the blindfold. And the chief priests and the elders of Jerusalem have led Jesus to Pilate. He's been up all night, he's been interrogated, no sleep, no food. Among their charges, they complain that Jesus claims to be the Messiah and a king. So Pilate asks him openly, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers very cryptically, you have said so. It's like a Bill Belichick answer to Pilate. As little as possible, he's not going to give him anything more. And Pilate ends up announcing that he finds no basis for a charge against Jesus. He wants to let Jesus go. Later on, he'll wash his hands as if to say, this isn't my decision, this is everybody else, I have nothing to do with it, even though he hands Jesus over to be flogged and then set on the cross. After... Pilate says he finds no basis. He sends Jesus to King Herod. We read in the same chapter, Herod is excited to to see Jesus. He's hoping to see a miracle. He's heard about Jesus. He knows about Jesus. The crowds have talked about Jesus. He's hoping something really phenomenal is going to happen in that moment. But Jesus doesn't respond to any of his questions. So Herod and his soldiers dress Jesus up in an elegant robe... They ridicule him and they mock him. Matthew's gospel tells us that that robe was scarlet. So you can imagine what's happening. They're saying, oh, you think you're a king? We'll dress you like a king. Come on, king, do something kingly for us. Look, royal. And a lot worse. And they also fashioned a scepter that he put in his hand and a crown of thorns that they put on Jesus' head. And then the soldiers took turns kneeling before him and mocking him. Can you imagine how insulting all of this was? Knowing all that Jesus knew about who he really was? Knowing who the Father was? Knowing that one day he would come and Philippians 2 says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Everyone will know throughout the world who Jesus really is and he really is the Son of God that He really is the King of all creation. Mark's Gospel records that Pilate asked this question to the crowd, what shall I do then with the one that you call the King of the Jews? So I ask you, as you're taking all of this in that I just presented, was there enough evidence for this second criminal on the cross to see Jesus as a King? To me, it seems that there was. He says to Jesus then, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's it. That's the only statement that's recorded from this man toward Jesus. This is the plea from a man who just heard Jesus talking to God a few moments earlier, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And he dares to say, Jesus, remember me. And then Jesus offers this personal promise It's only aimed at Him right at that moment. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, there's a movement among the church. I'm not going to name names or groups or anything like that, but there's a movement among the church that says all the promises of the gospel are really corporate promises. They're not individual promises for you and me. God is only concerned about big things, corporate sins, and those are the things that really matter, not anything about what we do as individuals. I can't see that in here. What I see is something that's directed to one specific person with a time frame on it and a very specific kind of promise that meets him at the dilemma that he is going through at that moment. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So we've looked very briefly at the idea that the cross obscures and it reveals at the same time. We've looked also at some of the conversation around the cross. But now I want you to tune in, if you will, imagine the conversation that must have happened in heaven that day. You have to use some imagination for this. This isn't in the Bible. I don't have chapter and verse on what I'm about to say. But I'm not the first to do this. Pastor and radio preacher Alistair Begg imagines a scene in heaven where this thief arrives. It was a message that he called the power and message of the cross. If you want to listen to the whole thing, you can find it on YouTube somewhere or truthforlife.org and you can find the whole thing. I'm acknowledging I'm borrowing something that's great that I think is worth sharing with you. His point is that without the cross, we very quickly revert to a belief that some combination of our own faith and our own good works leads to salvation. That's what happens if we take the cross out of the picture because the cross reminds us of the price that Jesus had to pay. So he imagines this scene in heaven when the thief arrives in paradise later that same day. And it's kind of instructive for our theology when we get to this. So play along with me if you will. He imagines one of the angels asking this man, Who are you? How did you get here? And the thief answers, I'm not sure, but I'm here. He knows it's not the other place. The angel says, Have you been baptized? The man says, There wasn't time for that. The angel says, Have you memorized John 3.16? It's the most well-known verse of the Bible. Well, the Bible's not yet to be written, but... The man says, "Uh, No, what does it say? The angel tries again. He's getting a little frustrated, and he says... Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? The man says, No, I was a convicted thief on the cross when I met Jesus. Clearly didn't do that. Then the angel says, Are you clear on the doctrine of justification by grace through faith alone? Something I would hang my hat on. And the man says, I'm sorry. I've never heard of that. Finally, in exasperation, the uh, the angel says, By what right do you think that you should be let in here? And the man's out of answers. And he looks at the angel and he says, I only know one thing. The man of the middle cross told me I could come. Did you hear that? The only answer that you and I could ever have that would matter. The man on the middle cross made a promise, more than just the promise he made on the cross that day to this thief, but he made promises to all of us that if we put our faith and trust in him, we will gain eternal life with him. That's the same promise, just with a fuller statement and a little fuller amount of information. All of the other stuff that we do is a thank you to Jesus based on the time that we have left. All of the other stuff that we do as Christians is part of the follow-through based on the time we have left of living out the grace he gives us. But if you don't have that time, if you're facing a dead beth, deathbed conversion experience where somebody presents the gospel to you, you need to know something in that minute. That it all depends on the man on the cross, not on your ability to perform Christianity. This is what thinking about the cross adds to our understanding. Take away the cross. And we have wonderful benefits that we talk about that flow from the resurrection and the life of Jesus, but it's not complete. And it would be without the price tag of understanding what it took to bring us to that point. Jesus, here's the criminal when he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He responds saying, today you will be with me in paradise. Only the authentic Son of God could offer this reward. Only God. Only the authoritative Son of God could offer this guarantee. And with those words, Jesus, remember me. This man bet his eternal destiny on Jesus. That faith in the sacrificial mission of Jesus the King in the middle cross that afternoon was enough. And this is the core of the gospel. That it's not about us. It's always about Him. It's not about what we do or whether we're better than somebody else, or we outperform somebody else, or how many mistakes that we'll make, and how many times we fall down on the pathway of following Jesus. We will all fall down. It's about what he did, and what he performed, and it's enough. Yes, God wants your repentance. I would never preach against that. Yes, he wants you and me to live a life of service to Christ. But at its very heart, the gospel is about faith in the person and promise of the man on the middle cross. Do you believe that too? For those of you who are watching at home, do you believe that? Do you know that? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you been tempted to revert back to that phrase that we often hear that, I think I've done enough, I think I've been good enough? The cross teaches us that it's only the finished work of Christ that we just sang about that matters. So here's the big idea for tonight. Faith in the man on the middle cross is the heart of the gospel. That's it. Faith in the man on the middle cross is the heart of the gospel. We're going to celebrate communion in a moment. I'm going to pray and then then we'll do that. And what we did on the way in, we gave you some cards, and with a little tiny clip on there, it says, "Remember me." I'd like you to take that out if you got one. On Good Friday, we like to create a way for you to respond to Jesus in a way that maybe takes you forward in your walk with Him. You can leave it the way that it is, and you can just take it home with you. You can stick it in a pocket, or you can clip it within your Bible. You can personalize it and write whatever message you want to Jesus, but you can't see it. But on this middle cross up here, we have some string. It's just enough for you to have a space to clip it on the cross if you think that that will in some way help you create a reminder. And so after I pray, I'm going to invite you to get up. If you haven't already gotten a communion kit, they're in the four corners of the room on little tables If you didn't get one of those cards on the way in, there are some on the back table as well. And I'm going to invite you to meditate for a moment. Take one of those communion kits. Take the card. If you'd like to come up and clip the card on here, we're going to give you some time to do that. But after everything's settled and everybody's back in their seats, we'll take communion together. And we'll sing a final song. And we'll go out into the night. Father, I pray for my friends who are in this room. We have gathered in order to be in the presence of each other as we think about Jesus on the cross, because remembering this way brings us back to a place of greater appreciation. And we have many friends who are watching this online tonight, too, and Lord, wherever we are, I pray that you would increase that sense of the depth of our love for you and the depth of our understanding of what it really cost Jesus to buy our spiritual freedom and to take our sins to the cross. As we write notes on these cards or as we tuck them away in a place where we'll remember them later, I pray that you will use this to remind us of what is at the heart of the gospel. And as we share communion in a few minutes together, remind us again of your broken body, your blood poured out out of love for all of us. And I pray that you would receive all this as worship. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm leaving this a little bit up to you, how you want to respond. Communion kits are in the corners. Grab one of those if you'd like to partake. The cross is here. Now imagine you heard those words from Jesus on the cross and you saw everything that we read about and talked about tonight. And then you have your first time experiencing communion on the other side of the resurrection. Tear open the smaller part of the little chalice you have and... Take that wafer. Says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, eat this in remembrance of me. That's why we're here tonight, remembering Jesus. Lord, thank you for the mystery. How Jesus' eternal spirit could take on human flesh and even experience death. Thank you for for raising him on the third day. Thank you for allowing us to know that he was willing to give up everything for us. Thank you for turning his pain into our heart. And then tear Mm -hmm. off the larger larger part. He He fills the cup. The cup symbolizes the covenant that Jesus has made with us, is based on His shed blood, where He paid for all of our sins fully. Let's drink this in remembrance of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for allowing us to gather here tonight. Thank you for giving us the Bible in our own language and in our own hands, and for allowing us the freedom we have in this land to talk openly about it. We pray for Christians that are in other places where their freedom is greatly restricted and where gathering like this would put their lives at risk. Thank you for the incredible freedom we have spiritually to live lives with consciences that can be cleaned and knowing that you've taken our sins as far away as the east is from the west. Poetically gone forever. And as we renew our covenant with you, I pray that you would increasingly lead us into the life you long for us to live. And thank you for sending the man on the middle cross. In Jesus' name.